Good morning. Welcome to Cultivate Church. Uh, my name is Jay. I get to pastor this fine community here that I'm so proud to be a part of. Uh, if you're a visitor and a guest with us this morning, welcome. Uh, it's really our prayer that you would uh, feel like family when you're here among us um, because we do view this as a family and we uh, like to see that family grow. And so that's what we're all about. We have uh, been through and are still going through a series called Rethink, uh, which you can see behind me. Uh, it is a, a time that we're going through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we have been rethinking a lot of life in light of Jesus. That's really the whole point of this entire series, is that we want to look at him, we want to see him for who he is, we want to know and experience the love that God has within Christ and for us, and we believe, this is the whole point, is that as we view and understand that love, that we will be changed too. And that's really our prayer. Over 15 weeks, we want to be a different people. We want to be people who are devoted and entirely in love with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we hope that that translates to your life too, as we are doing this together. So we are um, actually moving into just the final stretch now of this series. And today we are in Mark 14. It's on page one, uh, 706 if you pull a Bible out from underneath the seat and you want to track along with us. Um, but we are uh, moving very, very fast towards Easter. And uh, we have been teaching through the final week of Jesus' life at this point. And so I, I want to kick it off this way as we're thinking about the passage. How many of you uh, support in some kind of way some sort of charity or cause? Raise your hand. Yes, charity or cause. Would you be so bold as to shout out maybe what some of those things are that you support, that you re- <laughs> Cultivate. That's a good one. I've heard of that one, yeah. <laughs> American Red Cross, yeah. Cancer Society. Yeah, great one. The, here's what I want you to think about. What gets you fired up? What gets your blood pumping when it comes to causes, when it comes to seeing change in the world? What gets you fired up like nothing else? I hope it's cultivated. <laughs> I wasn't going to feed the answer to you, but... For some of us, it's, it's uh, seeing poor people fed, and that's one of the things that we love to see happen here at Cultivate Church. Uh, for others, it's bringing clean water to those that can't have access to that water. Uh, for a lot of people, and it's a growing cause around the world, people are investing more and more in seeing uh, particularly children uh, ransomed out of the sex uh, slave industry. Uh, it's an enormous problem in the world. Uh, Causes are becoming a, a thing within our society, are they not? You can't go anywhere without seeing some kind of cause, some kind of charity, asking for time, asking for donations, asking for something from our lives. And people more than ever before are getting passionate about various causes around the world. In fact, Mandy and I were just eating dinner last night. And we got takeout somewhere, we're eating at the dinner table, and I noticed that on my soda, my soft drink, there was uh, an advertisement saying how proud we are to support the Juvenile Diabetes Research Fund. And I'm drinking soda from a fast food place. I know. Very ironic. 
childhood <laughs> obesity leading to diabetes caused by soft drinks. And I'm drinking a soft drink to, uh, to fight that very cause. But they're everywhere, right? Um, it is hard to get away from causes, and more than ever before, there is a cause out there for everyone. And so I thought it would be kind of fun. I was doing some research last night. I figured I would Google the phrase, weird charities, just to see what came up. You know, had a little bit of time on my hands. I'm wondering what could possibly be out there that people would devote their time and energy to, and you would not believe some of the gems I found. I'm going to share some of them with you today. There is one, it's actually a pretty decent charity, but it's something called pimpthisbum.com. Oh yeah. You can go to this website and they feature one homeless man or woman on their website and then you can give towards a number of different pieces to their life to get them on the road to recovery. So you can provide money for food or water or shelter. You can provide money for rehab because many of the people they highlight are, you know, drug and alcohol addicts. Um, you can help them get education or job training. But you go to this website, and there is a homeless person, and you can pimp out this bum. Dot <laughs> com. I'm not making this up. I really am not. Um, with dignity and respect, I'm sure. There's another one called Critter Connection. And this one is dedicated to the rehabilitation of neglected guinea pigs. They got a castle and everything, and they, they work with the guinea pigs, and they help them overcome their mental anxiety. Uh, it gets better. How about the Tall Clubs Foundation? They're created to benefit the interest of all tall people. Mike, I'm sorry. I have no sympathy for that cause whatsoever. Thinking, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> How about this one? The National Cattle Woman Foundation. Education and research programs for women who share a passion for the U.S. beef industry. <laughs> yes, sir. These women need our help. Absolutely. I mean, what... Why have we not heard about these causes before? What have we been doing with our lives until now, right? We need to get behind some of this stuff. Like I said, more than ever before, there is a cause out there for everyone. And uh, I think it's actually God's providence that we happen to come to this passage today because we're actually going to be introducing one of our causes here at Cultivate Church, the Global Action Project of the work that we're doing in Haiti. And so this, this passage in particular will give us a good frame of mind, a good mindset in which we are to think about our work there and, and really any cause that we get behind. And I hope any cause that you happen to get behind in your particular life. We're going to be looking at the context of two concurrently running stories. 
There's one story that's happening within the city of Jerusalem, and there's another story that's happening within a small town called Bethany that's two miles outside of Jerusalem. And these two stories, as Mark tells us, are kind of happening at the same time. They're sort of running on parallel tracks. And if you don't look at these stories together, you miss the point of both of them. But if you look at them together, then you happen to see what they're all about. And so we're going to do that. And we're actually going to start with the story in Jerusalem. It happens at the first part and the last part of this passage. And so we're going to look at both of those now. It says, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming against, or scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Other word, another way to say this is Jesus is by this time becoming far too popular in the people's eyes. And they know if they snuff this guy out in, in public, they're going to have a riot on their hands. And they're trying to keep this from happening, especially during a time of such great importance like Passover. And we'll get to that in a second. Skip all the way down to verse 10 now. It says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, meaning twelve disciples who followed Jesus, went to the chief priests and, to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Very interesting context to this story. There are people that want Jesus nothing more than to snuff Jesus' life out. And apparently there is one of Jesus' own 12 who is ready and willing to cooperate with these people to see that reality happen. And this all happens in the context of celebrating Passover, which is really interesting. Um, because Passover was a celebration of freedom. It was a time when Israel as a nation would gather together. Most of the people would come down to the city of Jerusalem and they would offer sacrifices and they would have festivals and they would, particularly this festival of unleavened bread. All of it was to celebrate a time when Israel itself was ransomed out of captivity in Egypt to freedom in their own land. And the reason they call it Passover is because the final thing that God did in order to secure freedom for his people before getting them out of Egypt was that he brought a plague on the nation of Egypt. And that plague came in the form of killing every firstborn child in the nation. This was to be the thing that would cause the king, Pharaoh, to finally release God's people so that they could be on their own. Because God saw Israel as his firstborn child. And he said, if you're not willing to let my first child go, I will see that yours doesn't go anywhere either. And so what God did is he came through Moses and said, what you're to do is to take the blood of a lamb and you're to paint it on your doorpost. And then when I come through, and when I come through, it's not going to be pretty. But when I come through, I will pass over all the houses in which the doorposts are painted. That's where we get the word Passover. And so the Israelite families were the ones who were spared. And there was such devastation in the nation of Egypt that they finally said, all right, just go. Just get out of here. Obviously, your Lord wants you to go, and so we're going to let you go. And so it's this, all this happened so swiftly that um, 
the bread that they were baking in their homes didn't have time to rise. They needed to pull it out of the oven before the yeast had had a chance to rise the dough. And so they would take the the bread out and they hit the road in faith, knowing that God was going to be with them. And so from that point on, Israel celebrated Passover by this feast called unleavened bread, whereby which they would bake bread called matzah, right, that has no yeast in it, to symbolize the fact that they are to live by faith and not by bread alone, that they are to be ready and willing for every movement of God when he comes along and take their bread and run with him. And so that's what they are to imagine and picture during this time of Passover. Very interesting, though, that all this happens about the same time that Jesus happens to come to town and start talking about a different kind of freedom. And the people in charge there weren't happy about this kind of freedom. In fact, they didn't want to, Jesus to enact this kind of freedom because it would have meant that they would have lost their power in the process. So if you're reading along in this passage and you just happen to take out the first and the last part of the passage and read those by themselves, you would interpret for yourselves that things are going pretty bad for Jesus. Uh, Things do not look good. Jesus is coming into town as a freedom fighter, and he's probably going to pay the ultimate price for it. Let me say this. There are many people that view Jesus in this similar way, even today. They look at Jesus' life, and they would say to themselves and to others and write books and have seminars and build churches all around this common identity that Jesus was somebody who lived for his beliefs and died way too young. In fact, I was watching a YouTube clip that just happened to pop up in my queue, um, because I guess because of some of the, the videos that I had watched before, of a pastor who was telling her 2,000-person congregation, just a, a mega church, and she's up there essentially telling them that Jesus' life was cut short And that we need, as the church, to fulfill all the stuff that Jesus failed to accomplish in his earthly life. Do you hear me? Obviously, she's never read Mark 14. Or at least the center section of it. But listen to this. If you don't view Jesus' death as just as important as his life, that is the only logical conclusion to come to, is it not? Because without his death, without his sacrifice, without his substitution, the only thing that we are logically left with as Jesus as a good moral example for us to follow. And that's exactly what a lot of churches teach. And Jesus should be our example, but he is far, far more than that. And I hope you've picked up on that as we've gone through this series. It's when you read this center section that you begin to understand the real value of Jesus. And so let's look at the second story, which happens in the town of Bethany. Uh, John's gospel helps us out a little bit and says that Jesus' friends, Lazarus, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were there also. But it says this, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. 
At first glance, that sounds like the right thing to do, does it not? She purchased, seemingly with her own money, a piece of perfume which had come from India. Think of the time that they're living in and how expensive something that's procured from a nation thousands of miles away would have cost this woman. She had to give up at least, if not more, than a year's worth of her wages to buy this small token of perfume that was used to prepare people for death. She buys this thing and she seemingly willingly, just not even thinking of the consequences, comes in, dumps the entire thing on Jesus' head. And other people around her are going, what do you, wait, wait, what's going on here? She could have used this for so much good in the world. Why is she wasting it all on Jesus? Doesn't she realize how much could have been done with that? And let me say this, as a church, we need to get this right. As a church, we, we say this all the time, we exist for the good of our neighbors, do we not? That's our desire. It's our passion. We've been teaching that from the very beginning, that we want to be a church in every way that lives to bless those who are yet to be a part of God's kingdom. That's Jesus' command, that heaven would come to earth and it would bless people. It would show them what life in the kingdom is like. And so it's a very important question for us to ask ourselves as we're doing ministry. This is the question. What is it that, me, that people, that our neighbors most need? What do they most need? Because for the people that are sitting around Jesus at the table, they are thinking what people most need is to get economically out of the poverty that they have been saddled with in their life. And this woman comes in and crashes that entire view, viewpoint. And so they're treating her harshly. So what does Jesus say in response to this? He says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them any way you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to what? To prepare for my burial. Very interesting phrase, and we're going to come back to that. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the entire world, What she has done will also be told in memory of her. He sees something in her that's radically different. And rather than treat her harshly, he treats her with respect and actually lifts her up and says, this is the kind of example that people are going to know and see every time my name is proclaimed throughout the entire world. Which sounds all well and good, but if you think of the other side of the coin... It sounds like Jesus is being really insensitive here, doesn't it? Like, Jesus, don't you, haven't you read your Bible? Don't you know that in the Old Testament alone, God refers to the poor at least, if not more than a thousand times? Over and over and over again, God calls his people to invest in the poor, to care for the poor, to give their lives, to pour their lives out. Isaiah 58 is one of the founding verses of our church. And it says that very same thing. We are to give our lives for the poor because when we do, God will water us like a well-watered garden. And we cling to that hope, right? 
not to hoard everything for ourselves, to use it as a blessing for other people. And as we bless, God blesses us so that we can be a greater blessing. Haven't you read any of that, Jesus? Don't you realize it's there? It seems really insensitive at first glance. But I think what you need to see is this. Uh, Jesus saw something in her because she saw something in Jesus. And in particular, we're just going to talk about two things that she happened to see in Jesus. And I think they are the very same things that as a church we need to see and view about Jesus if we're going to get this whole equation right and do it right for our neighbors and for ourselves. The first is this. She saw that Jesus was more valuable than any other cause. She saw him as more valuable than any other cause. The other people are sitting around the table and they saw their cause as more valuable than Jesus. They missed the value of Jesus sitting there. Obviously, because if they seen the value of him, they would have put down their cause and they would have congratulated this woman for getting it right, for placing value in Christ. So let me ask, what is your cause? Like I said, when we started this whole thing out, what gets your blood boiling? What gets your heart pumping? Where is it that you feel so passionate about and driven towards and needing to accomplish? Some of those uh, causes that we often cling to, they can be Christian in nature. Many of us will have a certain theological cause uh, that's based on a certain way to view the Bible or understand it, and we push that cause, and we push that cause, and we push that way to see the world and the Bible, and we say, if you don't hold to this same view that I do, then you're wrong and I'm right. Sometimes we'll have a certain author that we get behind and we think you need to read this author no no no. you you really really need to read this author and the response to the other person is like well i read my bible and i love jesus no 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 you don't get it you need to read this author when you read it everything will change for you it's a cause instead of a christ how about a certain particular kind of ministry program We need to have this kind of ministry or that kind of program. And we call others to rally around our cause. And we say, we need to do it this way because this is the best way. Sometimes, though, our causes can be more moral in nature instead of Christian. And we can get behind causes like feeding people. Great causes. Great things to spend our lives for. And we see hungry people in our neighborhoods and around the world. And we say, we need to jump at the fact that we need to help them. And that can become our cause. Sometimes it's providing water for those who are thirsty. Other times it can be something as simply as recycling. And that can become a cause. And when you put a bottle in the trash can rather than the cycling bin, look out, right? <laughs> Woo-hee! You, you know, somebody who has a high recycling cause and they watch you do that, get ready because, you know, How about driving a hybrid car or riding a bike to work? These can become causes, and we get so passionate about our cause because we believe in it. For many of us, it could be politics, whether conservative or liberal. 
And we think, if only my political bent were pushed out into the world and everybody agreed with me and my cause, then the world would be such a better place. Right? All causes. Here's the thing, though. You know you've placed your cause above Christ when the prospect of worshiping Jesus apart from that cause terrifies you. And you'll say things like, how in the world can we worship Jesus when people aren't driving hybrids? It's a silly example, but use it for your cause. Use it for yours. A great recent example of this uh, that I think I need to bring to your attention is the example of the social media campaign that came out this week to bring justice to Joseph Coney. Anybody see this? I would say over 60 million people have now viewed a half an hour documentary on Facebook or through YouTube um, in five days. Five days. It has spread like wildfire across the entire world. All around a cause to bring one man to justice. And at first glance, it is a good cause. Because the way that they frame it and this person that they want to bring to justice is entirely just cause. This individual for the last 25 years has used his power and influence to steal children from their homes, recruit them into an army, put guns in their hands and make them kill their parents. Then they take their younger sisters and they bring them along too and then they rape them and then they sell them as sex sex slaves. You talk about a worthy cause? How awful. How incredibly awful. And so, some very smart, some very savvy people put together a campaign to bring light to this entire issue. And let me tell you, it is one of the most compelling 30 minutes of documentary I've ever seen in my life. Just riveting the way that they tell the story and bring you into it. At the same time, though, as they're telling you a lot of truth, they're also telling you some imperfections as well. Because to get behind this cause, their sole cause is to make this guy, Joseph Coney, as famous as possible so that in making him famous, his name will go out throughout the world. Everyone will know who he is and they will call in to their senators and their president and make sure that we keep the pressure in following this guy wherever he goes in order to track him down and see him brought to justice. And there is not, you watch the video and you think, there is nothing wrong with this cause. We need to get behind it. I'm going to buy the t-shirt and the sticker and I'm going to go out and do it all up and I'm going to put posters up and I'm going to do the whole thing. And I felt that same tension too. Then you start to read some other articles of people that actually live in Africa and lived there for the last 25 years. And what you hear is that this guy isn't alone in his atrocities. And one of the things that this campaign wants to do is to come alongside the government of Uganda and their army to see this guy put out of power. The problem is that the government of Uganda does the exact same thing this guy does. They don't tell you that in the video, right? But people get so pumped up about their cause and they think, yeah, we got to do something. We need to nail this guy. We need to bring him to justice. And they go all in for a cause. Right? 
Sometimes we do that without wisdom, though. It's wise to actually find out the entire story and to craft ways to invest yourself into the problem that creates solutions rather than possibly even perpetuating the problem. Because essentially the entire campaign is built around just buy the pack, give money, go put posters up, and then feel better about yourself. Is it not? And everybody can feel so good about themselves because they contributed to a great cause. The problem is, what if that cause doesn't pan out? What if it doesn't actually help people but ends up harming people in the end? Which it may. See, every cause apart from Christ will ultimately only take people so far. And that's the thing that we need to be careful of. Because here at Cultivate, we got a lot of causes, right? We invest ourselves in quite a few things. Good causes, I, I would say, that help people. And they say to our neighbors, we are about God's kingdom and not building a church. We want to see you built up and we want to invest in you. And we want to use our resources to make sure that you're fed. To make sure that you have a place in a garden that you can come with your family and spend the afternoon in the sunshine and grow good things. Maybe even give some of those things away to other families that need it. I believe in the things that we do. But here's my concern. That if we're not careful, we'll become a cause-oriented church rather than a Christ-oriented church. Do you see the difference? The causes that we invest in, whether they be the garden or the pantry or even Haiti, which we're going to talk about in a second, need to be motivated from our love and our value of Jesus. And we need to desire to serve Him and not the cause. And more than that, actually, we need to understand that the people that we help, we can help either in a way that draws them towards Christ or we can help them in a way that draws them towards a cause. And we do them the greatest disservice in the world when we draw them only to a cause and not to the Savior who came to die in their place. Yes? See, the thing is, if Jesus is your cause, then you'll invest yourselves in other things too. If you put Jesus first and value him like this woman did above everything else, then you'll feed people because you'll realize that Jesus was poor and he cares for the poor. And Jesus loves me and he gave me more than I need to eat. And so I will logically say, in my love for you, God, I will share what I have with other people. Why? Because I love Jesus and I value him and I value the things that Jesus values. It's not putting the cause above Christ. It's putting Christ above the cause. And as your pastor, I would encourage you towards this. Value Jesus above everything else. Value him above everything. And use everything that you have, like we said last week, to go all in for him. Use your time and your resources. Use the gifts that he's given you. Use your talents. Use your relationships to speak to the world about the value of Jesus and the kingdom that he brings here. 
Find yourself in him because when you do, you'll be able to say, Jesus, I lay down my life for you, not because I'm good, but because you're good and you laid down your life for me. And then when other people ask you the question because you're serving them in love and they will ask the question at one point in time, why in the world do you do this? Your answer will be because Jesus gave everything for me. And I follow him by giving my all for others. And I'm here as his representative. Get to know my king because he's good. Second thing that she saw is that she saw that her time to demonstrate his value was short. Not only does she see his value, she understands the shortness of her time. And so she gives in a great demonstration, right? She pours herself out. She gives this offering. She lowers herself to be there with Jesus. And what happens? Other people look on with disgust or disgrace and embarrassment and go, what a shame, (laughs) right? Let me say, this always happens when people give extravagantly towards Jesus. Because others who fail to see the value of who he is and why he came will look on those people who get it and judge them for it. And so you got to know that if you're going to give your value and your worth to Jesus and find your identity in him and give him your worship, that other people will look at you very strangely. And they will come to certain conclusions about you, unfortunately. But does that stop the woman from giving the gift? Nope. Why? Because she saw his value and she saw how short her time was. Jesus was only going to be there a short period of time. And they failed to see it. And so often people that give half-heartedly to Jesus and find their worth more in a cause than in him do so because they fail to see that he is worth more than anything and we only have a very short period of time in which to give him everything. So let me ask, what do you hold back when it comes to your worship? And could it be that the source of that withholding is that you fail to accept the fact that your life is far shorter than you realize? We're always reminded of this around times of loss in our families, and one of our families experienced great loss this week. And it reminded me, as I'm sure it reminded them and some of the people that attended, that our time is far shorter than we realize. So I would encourage you, use what time and talent and gifts and everything that you've got and serve Christ. Give it all for him because he gave it all for you. So you may be asking, okay, I get it. All right, I know what I'm supposed to do, but why? Why is Jesus more valuable than anything? And why, apart from the people looking to arrest him, why was his time so short here? It goes back to verse 8. I said we would go back to this verse. It says that she poured it out to prepare Jesus for his burial. Jesus is more than a cause, is he not? Here's the big idea that I want you to see. He is the Passover lamb who would provide deliverance for his people. And her devotion to him is very much like that unleavened bread that we talked about earlier. 
She understood the value of him because she saw him for who he was. Who is he? He is the one who provides deliverance for his people through his death so that others might go free. He is that lamb who was slaughtered so that it could be painted on our doorposts and window frames so that when God was ready to provide deliverance, that deliverance can be applied to us. You see then how her devotion to him and running to him and giving him everything is just a show and a sign that she understands how short the time is. And rather than letting the yeast rise in her oven, she takes that bread as quickly as she can get it and she runs to Jesus and says, I will find my deliverance in you. That's the value of Christ. Do you see it for yourself? That he who knew no sin became sin and was slaughtered so that you might become what he is, an accepted, free child of God. That's the gospel right there. That's the good news that we have to cling to. And when we cling to it, we will follow him passionately into any cause that he leads us. So what do you see when you look at Jesus? Do you see him as more valuable than a cause? And are you willing to use your time to invest in the cause of Christ and to follow him into a broken world? These are the questions that we need to ask ourselves and to wrestle with, particularly because we have a great opportunity before us uh, to see Jesus and to see the world the way he sees it and to devote ourselves to him in a particularly grave place called Haiti. And we've been talking a little bit in bits and pieces, and you know that I traveled down to Haiti with Jen Idler back in January to go and visit with a number of different communities there and find out what was happening on the ground. We found uh, this particular opportunity through an organization called the 410 Bridge. And if you get a chance to stay afterwards for the lunch, I would really encourage you to do so. We're actually going to have our representative with 410 Skype in, and we can ask him any and all questions regarding our trip there, our, our progress, our project, uh, anything of that sort. He's going to be available for us to do that with. Um, we all kind of, we've seen the pictures, I think. We, we sort of know uh, a little bit about the earthquake, the fact that it's two years now since it happened. Um, the numbers just wash over us, but I think we're never going to really understand it. 316,000 people lost their lives. 316,000 people uh, were dead because of it. Most of those people will never be identified because buildings fell on top of them and they were irrecognizable and they just scooped them up in, in dump trucks and pushed them into mass graves. I mean, that's how serious it was. Three, uh, 1.6 million people were homeless. And most of those people are still homeless today. We traveled around Port-au-Prince and some of the surrounding areas. You cannot imagine the size of the shanty towns and the tent cities there. People are still living in it. There's one in particular, a slum called City Soleil, uh, which oddly enough stands for City of the Sun, which <laughs> it is the darkest place you'd ever want to visit. In the two years since the earthquake, the UN has gone in one time for a period of four hours to do a peacekeeping mission in there. 
And they deem that a success. It is the second or third largest slum in the world now. Horrendous, horrendous. And so we went there in search of how to invest in one particular community. Because if we're going to get behind a cause, we want to do it according to our values. And I, I know we've talked about those values before, but we wanted to do something that was both uh, missional, transformational, and relational. But what I mean by that is we wanted to ask certain questions of where we were going to invest ourselves to make sure that we were doing it in a way which follows Jesus and not just a cause. And so we asked these questions. We want to do something, and will it cause us to, will it allow us to show and to tell the mission of Jesus to a specific people? That was one of the questions that we asked. Do we get a chance to demonstrate it by helping them help themselves? And do we get to tell them about the love of Jesus in the process of doing this work? That was very important to us. Second thing we asked is, will it result in long-term transformation of a community, both physically and spiritually? We don't just want to throw money at a problem, which has been the problem in Haiti all along, that people come in and they throw millions and millions of dollars at a problem and that money is wasted over and over again and nothing changes. You may have seen TV reports recently at the two-year anniversary of the earthquake where they're interviewing people and they're saying how much of the work has been done, how many of the streets have been cleared, how many of the buildings have been resurrected, how many people are back to work. And the answers aren't very good. We're talking 80% unemployment. Most buildings have not even been cleared away, let alone risen up again. Vast amounts of poverty and illness it's incredible. It really is. And so we wanted to come in and to say, we're not just here to throw money at a problem. We're not just here to feel better about ourselves. We want to see, by God's grace, one community transformed forever. How can we do that? How can we help? And the last thing that we wanted to do is, and, and ask the question was, um, how, can we do this in such a way that it will help us to build relationships, long-term relationships of cooperation and trust. We don't want to be the guys that put up a billboard that draw people to a website and then get them to donate some money so that they can put up a billboard and get other people to put up a billboard and other people to put up a billboard. We want to meet and to know the people that we invest in, and we want them to know us. We want to share with them in a relationship of cooperation and trust, this work that we're doing together. And so based on those three questions, we were led to 410, and we decided that we were going to step out in faith and go to Haiti. And one of the communities that we happened to visit while we were there was a community called Shadrach. And uh, so what we're going to show you now is actually uh, the video of what we shot while we were there and some of the projects that we'll be doing as we develop a three-year partnership with Shadrach. And that's what the lunch is about today. So I would encourage you, even if you're just hanging around and you like free lunch, we have a lot of food, and we'd like you to eat it. Um, what we're doing today is really just trying to raise awareness for this particular opportunity for us to love and to value Jesus and then to help others in that same light correct? 
And so the lunch afterwards, we're going to be talking about some specifics about what it'll take to actually go there on our service trip in August when is the first time uh, of a three-year commitment that we're going to go twice a year for three years. And as a church, we're investing uh, $10,000 a year into this particular cause, something that we believe will radically change one community in Haiti because if you change one community in Haiti, you've changed Haiti. Because after, here's our thinking, and I'm looking further down the road even than this. We invest in one community, we learn about them, we help them to accomplish what's in their heart to accomplish, and then we move on to another community and we do the same exact thing. Three years, six years, nine years, 12 years. Imagine where we'll be as other churches get on board with the same thing and start investing in all these various small communities and helping them accomplish what they want to accomplish and teaching them about Jesus. Then the whole nation of Haiti slowly but surely rises up out of devastation into transformation. That's our hope, and we are trusting God for it. So even if you're... If you want to go, come. If you want to just hear, come. Uh, I hope that this will kind of inspire you to at least give a, a second look. Because it's not something that we just want to be uh, something that a small group of us are passionate about. And so that becomes their mission and we're going to do our mission. It's all one mission that we have as a church. And so I want all of us, regardless of what our future plans are, uh, to see it, to pray for it, and to invest in any way that God might lead you to do that. Okay? So let's check this out together. Shadrach, uh, the community of Shadrach, we're in um, the mountains around uh, the city of St. Mark. One of the uh, beautiful things about the community here in Shadrach is uh, how warm and engaging the people are, especially the kids. And uh, the thing that they love most about teams when they come in is uh, being able to um, see photo, right? So we, sh we shot a number of photos together, and uh, they love to see themselves on the screen and uh, point to themselves and say, that's me, that's me. And uh, so uh, we're uh, just having a, a great morning. Uh, they are planning to 
um, to invest more in a coffee crop that they're growing here, and they've started that already. They have some uh, seedlings in progress in the next two years. Uh, they believe that they're going to be able to start growing um, coffee plants more and then in the next five years to become a self-sustaining community um, off of the, what they're able to grow uh, here in the villages around Shadrach. And so um, one of the opportunities that we have as a church is to come alongside them uh, to invest in some of their projects that they have going on uh, here in the village. One of the uh, key projects here in Shadrach is, uh, is fresh water. And uh, you can see behind me the spring uh, from which they draw pretty much all of their water for their daily needs, which would include drinking and washing um, and doing dishes that some of the women are here doing. Up the mountain where the spring comes out, um, it, it's, it comes out pretty fresh, but it, uh, it services in a number of areas and uh, the animals get into it, it gets bacteria laden, and because of that it's not the freshest water source uh, for their daily use. And so one of the projects that 410 is, is doing in, and helping the community with in the next coming months and years is, uh, is to divert that water source to a place that will capture that water in a more uh, fresh and clean way so that the children can use it and become healthier, grow stronger, and uh, be active parts of, uh, of the community here in Shadrach. Once they have clean water, they're looking to build a school, actually, where I'm standing right now. Um, they're looking to, to build a classroom that will serve um, up to 2,000 kids around this uh, entire region. And once they have the school ready and prepared, they're also looking to build a health clinic here in the area, which will uh, provide health care to a number of the people that live here so that they don't have to walk the 12 miles uh, down the mountainside to, uh, to St. Mark, which is all the way at the bottom of that hill. Where I'm standing right now is, uh, is the terrace outside of uh, someone's home, but it's also the place where we met with uh, the, the leadership council of the people uh, of Shadrach. And uh, when we came to the village yesterday, they uh, had literally, we were here at, at uh, 8 in the morning, 8.30 in the morning, and um, they were all sitting around uh, on this wall here. They had been waiting for us to come um, so that they could explain to us um, their, their heart and their passion and uh, their dreams for the future. And uh, one by one, each of them uh, thanked us from the bottom of their heart for traveling this distance from America down here just to spend the morning with them. It's just an amazing uh, show of gratitude on their part that uh, someone would take time um, from, from their busy lives to come and, and be with them. Uh, but what was amazing to us is that we got to hear uh, a little bit of their dreams for the future and I was surprised at how deep their faith is. And uh, even though they have so little here, um, they attribute what they have uh, to God and his providence in their life. And uh, the fact that we've come uh, here as well, they see as the hand of God bringing uh, almost like angels uh, to come and help them accomplish what's in their hearts to accomplish. Um, and so Jen and I were actually just talking before shooting this video that, um, that they
they understand and we're starting to understand, I think, that um, they, they know that God is with them and uh, our presence here is evidence of that. I think God has far more than, uh, than even their highest expectations in store for this community and um, we're excited that uh, it's possible that we could be a part of their future. You can't imagine the hearts of the people here, especially this community. We have um, a sense of togetherness, a sense of community. Um, they love each other. They want the best for each other. They have um, hearts that beat really strong for their children. They long for school, and um, just something about this community really, um, I don't know, clearly it's touched my heart, and uh, you would all love it here. It's beautiful. It's got to be the most beautiful place in Haiti, and uh, we're lucky to have um, met these people. I think we've been changed for the better, certainly, for seeing how they... Um, how they love God and love their families and have so much less than we do and, and yet they get it so much more clearly than we do and I uh, would love to bring it for you here I really would, I could see Beth, you know, getting dirty in the garden and getting <laughs> coffee and I could see Marie chatting it up with the women and I could see my husband running around with soccer ball with kids and and uh, you know, I could, I could just see so many of you sitting in here and uh, really loving it and wanting to come back again and again and again. <laughs>